0: I was out in the yard doing something. I'm not sure what I was doing, cutting grass or working on something. And a young lady, found out later she was 18 years old, uh, came in and uh, said, um, we're we're doing a marathon run uh, to get people to support us. They pay so much by the, we'd say, kilometers in Canada, I guess, by the miles down here, however far we run, uh, we get, we're get. we trying to get people to sponsor us. And so I said, well, how far are you running? And she said, "I, I you know, I don't know, 16-something miles or kilometers or something. And she said, would you be able to support me, like donate, budget some money for the school trip? I said, of course I would, on one condition. And she said, what is that? And I said, that you let me tell you the greatest story that was ever told. (laughs) She said, well, I don't have time. She said, I'm going down the street here and I've got to do all these houses. I'm canvassing the area. Uh, I said, well, that's okay, can you come back? She said, yes, I can come back after supper tonight. I said, good, you come back and I'll support your school trip and, uh, and you'll get the greatest story that was ever told. Well, I wondered actually if she would come back, but she did. And so my wife and, uh, and I were there and we invited her in. She was a student at one of the local uh, schools. And um, so we negotiated how much we would uh, support for each kilometer or mile that she ran and we got that over with and I said, Now for the greatest story that was ever told. And she said, okay. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm going to start in the beginning with Adam and Eve. And she looked. I said, like, Adam and Eve. I said, have you ever heard of Adam and Eve? No. I said, you never heard of Adam and Eve? She said, no, I've, I don't know who that is. <clears throat> I said, did you ever know about the Bible? Well, yes, she knew about the Bible. I said, did you ever go to a church? She said, I go to church every Sunday. But she says, they get me to look after the children in the nursery, like I, I never do anything else at the church, and I said, so you really, you've never heard like about, can you imagine telling her that this snake is talking to this woman and she goes, uh-huh, right, <laughs> see how much we take for granted, I, I mean literally, there are people that don't know about Adam and Eve. Well, we're going to learn about Adam and Eve tonight, just in case, just in case, there might be someone here that doesn't know the story of Adam and Eve. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, the story of Adam and Eve. Now... There's another reason I give that illustration to start with, and the reason is, we're gonna look briefly at the story of Adam and Eve. I I, I hesitate to, to summarize too much because there might be some of you that don't know the details here, but Adam and Eve were the first two created human beings. Okay, and they were created on day six of creation. You go through chapter one, and uh, you find out that the Lord created Adam and Eve, and you go to chapter two and he says, let me take out the microscope and I'm just gonna focus in on the details of making the man and the woman. And so he does that when it comes to chapter two. Chapter three, we have the temptation and, uh, and then from the rest, for the rest of the scriptures, we got a big problem Uh, going before us, but I don't don't want to get that far ahead in the story because I want to look at the time when Adam and Eve tried to run away from God. Oh, they did, you know. They tried to run away from God. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, uh, in in chapter 2, this is uh, the detailed version of of the creation of Adam and Eve. Let me go back to verse number seven of chapter two. Chapter one, sort of the overview, big overview. Chapter two, some details here, a little bit uh, before verse seven, but thinking about the man, uh, verse seven, the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he goes on, gives us more details about the garden. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a suitable counterpart for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. In verse 20, Adam gave them names. In verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And I wish we could say, And they lived happily ever after. Not the end of the story. But there's a few things that we learn this far in the story. God made a man out of the dust of the ground. That in itself is an unbelievable miracle. Try it sometime. <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, we used to make, um, you know, uh, I, had, I had two sisters and they make mud pies Well, that was okay, but when I had to eat them, that was a hard part, you know. But but think about it. Take some mud. Just, you know, like, try it. Try to make a man. I mean, God breathed into the dust of the earth of whom he had formed a man. Man became a living soul. Now, not only do we learn that, but we learn something else. Look back in verse 8 again of chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden, and he put the man... In the garden. Okay, that was God's way. Uh, Not not only that, look in verse 15. uh, He he put the man in the garden to dress it and to keep it. He had a job. You know, sometimes people say, what do you think we're going to do in heaven? Sit around on a cloud drinking lemonade? I said, I doubt it. God made a man, put him in a garden, and he told the man to go to work. Work in the garden. It was a joy serving the God that had created him. He had something to do. Listen, folks, we're gonna have something to do in heaven. We're not gonna sit around drinking lemonade. We're gonna serve the most high God. And there's gonna be something for us to do as it was for Adam. He was to tend the garden, to keep the garden, uh, to dress the garden. And and then you'll notice something else about this garden. Uh, This garden had trees in it, and he said the, the trees that are in this garden are for you. They're for provision for you. You can eat of the trees of this garden, but however, in verse 17, there is a tree in the garden that you shall not eat of. The day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Now, so we know that God made the man. We know that God put the man in the garden. We know that God had a plan for the man. We know God provided for the man. All in the garden. Chapter 3. Man and the woman are on the scene. Man created first. Woman created next. Verse One chapter three, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, yes, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you won't die. You won't die. You shall not surely die. Verse 5, God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Did you ever consider that the first temptation was to be godly? <laughs> You'll be like God. God lied to you. He's just a big mean God. He doesn't want anybody to be like him. If you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be like God. It's amazing, isn't it? Because that's exactly what God wants us to be, is like him. He created us in his own image. He made us like him. And even after the fall and after redemption, the greatest goal in life is for God to take his hammer and chisel and work away on us, conforming us who believe in the Lord Jesus to be conformed to his image. He wants us to be like himself, like God. And so the devil said, he knows that if you eat, you'll be as God's, knowing good and evil. Verse six, the woman saw the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes. A tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit she ate. She gave to her husband, he ate. And there's a big discussion as to where he was and what he did and all that. Don't worry about that. That's all speculation. Speculation. We got the text. This is what the text says. He ate. That was his problem. Later we find that out. Verse 7. The eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the g- <clears throat> excuse me, in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Which is not possible, from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? as though he didn't know. Where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, it was the woman that you gave me. Hmm. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And she said, it's the serpent. It's the serpent. We are so good at taking our cue cards from blaming others rather than taking it on the chin and admitting that we are at fault. Amen. Uh, Adam said, it's the woman that you gave me, so really, God, it's your fault. The woman said it was the serpent. I didn't have anything really to do with it, but the judgment nevertheless fell on them, on them. My point is, where did they hide? they hide? Well, look at it again in verse 8. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Where did they hide? Among the trees of the garden. I don't know about you, but I suspect that if I had been in that situation, I would have got out of there about as fast as I could have got out. They didn't run out of the garden. Matter of fact, later they were driven out of the garden. And and then an angel with a flaming sword to protect the tree of life so they couldn't get back in in that fallen condition and eat of that tree of life and live forever like that. God's mercy there. Nevertheless, when they realized that they had sinned, they went back into the garden amongst the trees of the garden. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that that's the most unlikeliest place to hide? Why? You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, of course it was. You see, they hid in the place, verse 8 of chapter 2, where God put the man. They hid in a place in chapter 2, verse 15, where God had a plan for the man to work. They hid in a place where God provided. You can eat of all the trees of the garden. And they even hid in a place where in verse 8 of chapter 3, God walked in the, in the cool of the day in the garden. God, it seems as though God often presenced himself there to fellowship with them. You say, what are you getting at? It's just a most unlikely place to hide. A place where God puts you, a place where God has a plan for you, his, his will for you, a place where God provides for you, a place where God fellowships with you. You say, well, no one could hide there. They do it every Sunday. You see, the local church is God's plan for us. The, the, the saints are to gather. Two or three are gathered in his name. Uh, the local church is a place, it's God's design. It's a, it's a micro version of the, of the universal body of Christ. God puts us there. God provides for us there. God has a plan for us there. God fellowships with us there. He presents himself with us there. It's very possible someone's hiding from the Lord right here tonight. <laughs> Just right here in a most unlikely place to hide. You can hide in a crowd. You can hide in self-righteousness. They tried that. You can hide in pity. You can hide in sin. You can hide in a Christian home. You can hide in a church meeting. You can hide in a local church. So when we think about Adam and Eve hiding amongst the trees of the garden, let us remind ourselves that there is no place that you can hide to get away from God. The psalmist said, if I go to heaven, you're there. Uh, Hey, we got that one down pat. We know that. God's in heaven. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. (laughs) What's that all about? Well, he's the Lord of hell too. Don't let the devil fool you. Okay. Okay. Uh, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea even there thy hand shall keep me and thy right hand shall hold me if I say surely the darkness shall cover me even the night shall be light about me J- Jeremiah says uh, about God am I God at hand and not a God afar off can any hide himself in secret places Saith the Lord do not I feel heaven and earth Saith the Lord where are you going to get away from God do you ever think about this? God's the only person you ever met that didn't have to travel. He's already there. <laughs> Omnipresent, the theologians tell us. And yet they tried. You see, they hid and they had a good reason to hide because they were afraid of God and they had a good reason to be afraid of God because they disobeyed God. Sin had come into their life. They would never be the same. Whenever you read the scriptures, uh, for instance, I'm thinking of John chapter 3, it says, now there was a man named Nicodemus. That's all I got to know about him to know he's a sinner, you know. There was a man. <laughs> all men and women and boys and girls are born sin- sinful in this world. And, and ever since this very text in which we read sin has infiltrated the human race we're born in sin we're conceived in sin we go forth from the lies from the womb speaking lies we're by nature children of wrath and we're possibly trying to hide from a god that you can't hide from Couldn't you imagine, I I think in my mind, I imagine the conversation, Adam and Eve, here they are with these fig leaves on, I mean, brutal, think about it. They're trying to cover themselves with fig leaves, and they're back in the back of the garden there somewhere, and all of a sudden, Adam says to Eve, it's God, did you hear him? That's the grace of God, isn't it? He steps out of heaven, and he comes down, he's always seeking, he's always looking he's always pursuing they ran they hid in an unlikely place first kings chapter 19 first kings chapter 19 the word tree or trees appears 177 times in the scripture we're going to look at only four of those tonight. Adam and Eve hiding among the trees. We're going to say a most unlikely place to hide. Now we're going to look at another tree and another person. His name is Elijah. All we know about him really is Elijah the Tishbite, (laughs) whatever that is. Doesn't sound too nice like mosquito bite, Tishbite. Uh, you know, But that was him. He just kind of came out of the woodwork somewhere, came from across the mountain somewhere. Great uh, man, bold reformer, one of the most colorful figures in the Old Testament. Uh, a man's man, uh, a man of steel. Uh, but he did have a weakness, and he did have a fear. But let's don't underestimate the power of this man. Um, Back in chapter 18, you might remember he he, he brought the the prophets of, uh, of Baal uh, and uh, the prophets of Jezebel uh, up to Mount Carmel, and there they had the showdown. You remember that? You call on your God, I'll call on my God, and the God that answers by fire, you might that's a, that's a great story. You need to go back and read that story. I think that was the first laser beam that was ever recorded. It came from heaven, just like burn everything up, just like God. There were no questions that day who won the, the competition that day. God showed himself mighty that day. And uh, by, by the end of that story, uh, Elijah, this great man of God, kills all the prophets it was kind of like uh, they were false prophets and he got rid of them. Uh, like uh, we, we read it, ba- we would read it back in, ver- in chapter 18 450 prophets of the groves and 400 which added Je- Jezebel's table. I'm not sure if that included the 450, but there's a lot of guys and he did it. He did it himself. He took care of them and uh, here's a man who was not afraid to confront the enemy, here was a man who was not afraid to call on God, here was a man that would pray that it wouldn't rain and it wouldn't rain, here was a man that would pray for rain and it would rain, here was a man that uh, would outrun Ahab's chariot 16 miles from Mount Carmel down to Jezreel Ahab, the king, in a chariot, Elijah running before him. Uh, I mean, this guy is physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually a giant of a man. And God used him in unparalleled ways. But then the word got back to Jezebel what he had done. Jezebel the coiled adder at the king's feet. She's the wickedest woman you have ever met in your life. And uh, she made some pretty bold promises. Look at chapter 19, verse one. Ahab the king told Jezebel, his wife, what Elijah had done and, and how he had slain all of the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. Uh, uh, and she said, "You got 24 hours." She put it. She put the uh, contract out on him. I am going to get you. There is no escape. I'm going to put your picture on every post office in in, in the county. Uh, you you will have no escape. I am going to treat you like you treated my prophets. Verse three, when he saw that, he arose. You think he's going to meet her like high (laughs) noon? You know, no, no, he's not going to do that. Notice uh, when he saw that, he arose and he went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servants and he went another day's journey into the wilderness. Sometimes you have a map. You can even do it now if you want to. Turn to the back and look at where Mount Carmel is and where Beersheba is. It's about 100 miles, folks. Then he goes another day's journey. What's he doing? He, he's running away from a woman who said, I'm going to get you. I mean, this guy has stood up against all of the evil forces that those uh, false prophets could, could muster up. And he's bold in the Lord. And something has happened to him. He goes, uh, verse 4 of chapter 19, he goes further a day's journey uh, into the wilderness and he sat down. He came and he sat down under, uh, Old King James says juniper tree, New King James says broom tree. Imagine taking a broom and turning it upside down, put the handle down, and that's your shade. Broom tree. Some even think that there was some odor about that tree that actually repelled uh, snakes. Isn't that kind of weird too? Uh, there was all kind of legends and uh, thoughts about what this tree was, but uh, uh, nevertheless, it was not the kind of a tree that you don't that you wanted to retire under to get any comfort or uh, uh, or, or any kind of care from the terrain around you. So he came and he went down to this broom tree. He sat under it. He requested for himself that he might die. Now that's kind of interesting. She was just going to kill him. Why didn't he He'd just say, come on. Now he wants to die, but he don't want Jezebel to do it. He, don't want, he wants God to do it. He wants to have a dignified death, you know, not one from the enemy. This guy's messed up in his head. There's no doubt about it. He's physically, mentally, emotionally Disturbed, he. I'm. I'm going to say he's depressed. That he's not thinking straight. Notice what he says. He says uh, uh, he requested for himself that he might die. He said, "It's enough, O Lord, take away my life." And then he goes, "I'm not better than my fathers." Well, who told him he was? He's not thinking right. We read the commentary in the New Testament. He's just a man. He is just a man. God used that man in an unparalleled way, but he was just a man. I take real comfort from some of this to think that he was just a man, I'm just a man, you're just a man or a woman here tonight. God doesn't really say that you have to reach some kind of a spiritual high to be some kind of a super Christian in order to be used. He used you. He used you. And all of us have these times in our life. Times when we don't think straight. Times when pressures mount up. Times when <laughs> we're afraid of little things. Now, Jezebel was no little thing. I, 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 I can agree with that. But at the same time, look what he just stood up against. How'd you like to see 450 or maybe even more? Who knows? Maybe double that. If 400 sat at the table and 450 were the prophets of Maybe there was almost 900 how would you like to stand up against them? And they they got you know, like egg on their face. They lost the battle like God showed who was king, who was the real God, and they're out for you, and you stood up against that. And now some way, somehow, he's done. He can't hack it anymore. He can't go any further. He's, he's depressed. <coughs> he's physically uh, drained. It, look in verse 5. He lay and slept under that juniper tree, and, and then an angel come and touched him. I like these stories. <laughs> I, like, I like stories when it says an angel touched him. That's just kind of neat. I, um, I think we belittle the work of angels too much. Uh, I, I really believe that we're ministered to so often by angels, and we just write it off. I also believe that we're ignorant of the, of the enemy's, uh, evil angels too. Uh, now look, there's not a you know sometimes if you're in a meeting I've been in these kind of meetings and somebody goes to sleep now let me see is anybody because they'd say you got a sleepy demon in you wake up over there wake up you know well I, I, there's not a demon behind every bush I understand that but let's not be ignorant of his devices. So an angel comes, great, touched him, and he said, arise and eat, and he looked, and there it was. There was cake, bacon, Uh, On the the fire, on the coals, there was water at his head. He ate and he drank and he laid down again. Uh, And the angel uh, of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great. And he arose, verse 8, and he ate. And he went on the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Do you know where that was? That's 200 more miles. Wow. You ladies would like to have that recipe, I bet. Boy, oh boy. Look at that. You'd only have to cook every 40 days. What happened to this man? From this bold and fearless reformer to a puppy with his tail between his legs wishing to die. A few suggestions. You see, as Adam and Eve spoke to us about hiding in an unlikely place, Elijah speaks to us about a Christian being totally discouraged. He's just down and out. I remember on one occasion, I shouldn't even tell this, please don't put it on the internet. I was so discouraged I came home I said to my wife I quit I quit I had a run-in with this brother and it wasn't nice and I came home and I said I'll show him I quit she said you quitting I said yeah she said what are you quitting (laughs) I didn't know what I was quitting I was just quitting you know. (laughs) Oh me, we get so discouraged sometimes. You know, we get so fed up. Like a doctor saying, "I'm so sick of, of I'm so sick of sick people." <laughs> well, send me somebody well. Well, that's the doctor's job, of course, to see sick people. Uh, some, sometimes we just we, we got to work with people, folks. You got to work with them, and sometimes you get very discouraged working with people, to the point that you want to say, "Oh, I'm no better than my father to take my life." You know. Like, I'm ready. I'm done. I've done everything I can do. I've killed all the prophets. I call fire from heaven. I've done. I... God said, I'm not through with you. Let me tell you something. Please, if you forget everything else I say tonight, please listen to this. God doesn't kick you when you're down. He didn't do that. A bruised reed shall he not break. And smoking flax shall he not quench. He doesn't kick you when you're down. He, he, God ministered to this man. What did he give this man? How did he get his attention again? This man's trying to get comfort under a broom tree. Come on. He needs to be under the shadow of the Almighty. The, the, the tower, the refuge, the place of safety, his rock, his salvation, his portion. That was his problem, you know. He forgot what the Lord had already done. He had more faith in Jezebel than he did God. He loses faith in God and begins to look at himself. You know, uh, sometimes they say, I've I've never been to a counselor. I just kind of counseled myself. That wasn't very good either, so I went to the word of God. That was a lot better than counseling myself. But uh, sometimes when a counselor says, well, you need to take inventory, look at yourself. Oh, well, brother, that is so bad. That is so bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't acknowledge your sin. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you look at the resources within yourself, you have no resources. He began to look at himself. Matter of fact, he'll go on in the story and say, I'm, just, I'm the only one left. You ever think like that? Well, I don't know how I ended up like this. I've done everything right. The next thing I know, nothing's turning out. God says, well, you got what you deserve. No, he didn't. God says, lay down and sleep. That's what you need. I'll give you some food on top of that. Did you ever notice that when you're physically exhausted, you don't spiritually function very well? I've heard people say, and I think it could be true, that a good night... Uh, all night spent in prayer is better than a good night's sleep. Well, that's okay for people that don't need sleep. Most of us need some sleep. I know God burdens you sometime. I stayed up all night for the devil before I was saved, many a night. I've stayed up a few nights for the Lord, of which I'm ashamed of. I should, I should stay up more nights for the Lord. But I need sleep, let me tell you. I do not function very good without sleep. So he gave him, what did he give him? He gave him rest, and he gave him some food, and he gave him some sleep. This is what got him back on target. He was looking at the circumstances rather than the promises of God. He was condemning himself rather than seeing God's mercy and love. He was ready to give up rather than go on. A picture of a totally discouraged Christian. The Lord... Met him where he was. He'll meet you where you are. It's okay. You're just a man. You're just a woman. It's okay. And no way do we justify sin or lack of faith. We don't justify that. But it happens. Let's be real. It happens to you. It happens to me. These are great lessons for us to learn here. God meets us where we are. And he doesn't kick us when we're down. Now, there's another tree and another guy. Let's go to the New Testament. Zacchaeus is his name. Oh, you say, I know that story. Of course you do. Yes, you know it. It's in Luke chapter 19, in case you forgot. Okay. Luke chapter 19. You see, there's a tree in this story, too. If Adam and Eve remind us of hiding in an unlikely place, and Elijah reminds us of, being discouraged under a broom tree, a discouraged Christian. Well, what does the tree tell us of in Zacchaeus's life? And let's notice verse one, chapter 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold, there was a man, there he is. That's all we have to know about him, remember? Uh, he's a sinner named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich. He sought to see Jesus who he was and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, verse five, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they, that's the crowd, saw it, they, the crowd, all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, uh, unto the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have, if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said to him, this day Is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. This is not my intent to preach on this tonight, but one observation. When you get saved, your life changes. You get this? He said, I'm making up. I extorted people. I'm going to make that up. I'm going to give what I'm going to give half I got to the poor. This this is not, I'm going to do it. This is what he is doing on the basis of salvation that day. He knew the life that he was living. And he's going to restore four times whatever he took. Just a note nobody's peeping. I haven't talked to anybody. But if you've got anything in your life that you know you should make right since you've been saved, you go make that right as soon as you can, okay? because Jesus makes a difference. He makes a difference. A promise, a debt, uh, some situation where you were in the wrong and they were in the right and you just say, well, that's under the blood and I forgot it. If you're thinking about it right now, God wants you to deal with it, okay? You go deal with that. Now, let's look about this. First thing I know, he was a rich man, but he wasn't satisfied with his riches because he was seeking something more. He was a curious man, verse 3, he sought to see Jesus who he was. He was an anxious man, in verse 4, he ran and climbed up into a sycamore tree. He was a humble man. How do I know that? He had to come down in front of everybody. So you're walking along. Here we go, we're walking along, and Jesus is here, and every eye is on Jesus. And Jesus stops under the tree, and he goes, Where do you think every eye goes? (laughs) Of course, everybody's looking now, okay? And there's Zacchaeus, as embarrassed as he is. And the Lord Jesus said, come down, I must go to your house today. They all watched him come down. And they watched him walk down the street, and they watched the Lord Jesus go into his house. And that's where they made the accusations. What was the tree? Well, let me suggest that the tree was a couple of things. The the tree was an instrument to overcome obstacles. He he had uh, two obstacles. There was a crowd in his size. He's just a little guy. He wanted to see Jesus, who he was. So the tree was a vantage point for him. He sort of did an evaluation. He's going along. There's Jesus. There's the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus, who he was. He's really interested. He's thinking, boy, I can't get close to him. I can't see him very well. He looks down the path. There's a tree. It's a Sycamore tree. I'll just run down there, and I'll climb up in the tree, and I'll be able to see Jesus from the tree. That tree was a vantage point for him, but it cost him. There he comes running along. There he goes there. That Zacchaeus, we know him, the little man. Yes, the rich little man. We know him. What's he doing? He's climbing up into a tree. What's he doing there? Sometimes it may cost you to see Jesus who he is. I was in a meeting many, 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 many years ago, not far from here, where So-called, the spirit was moving. I'm not sure what kind of spirit it was. It wasn't the Holy Spirit, I don't think. And there was a lady, and she fainted. It was very hot in the meeting. She's just like, boom, she's out. Her friends got there with these little fans. She's in the spirit. She's in the spirit, they said. Mm. In the spirit, all right. She fainted from heat, huh. or something else, yes, of course. Sometimes when you and I want to see Jesus, who he is, there's a cost involved in that. I don't know everybody here tonight. You might have just snuck in under the cover of darkness like Nicodemus and say, I'm just going to go over and climb a sycamore tree for a minute. Somebody told me Jesus is in this place and he's passing through and I want to go see him, who he is. Well, he's here. But if your friends or your family or anyone else happen to know that you were in this particular sycamore tree tonight, it might be rather embarrassing for you. You see, the sycamore tree was a vantage point to see Jesus, who he was. Where would you go to see Jesus, who he was? He was coming that way, but it was gonna be rather embarrassing. There was a cost to see Jesus. What would you do for Jesus to get a better look? Would you go against your family? Would you go against your friends, against their counsel to you? Would you find a sycamore tree that's not accepted necessarily by other individuals around you? Would you just go and say, my greatest desire is to see Jesus and know who he is? Because that's what this tree represented. He wanted to get to know Jesus, verse 3, who he was. And he came this tree well there's one more tree we got Adam and Eve among trees we've got uh, uh, Elijah under a tree we got Zacchaeus up a tree you probably know where I'm going 1st Peter chapter 2 please 1st Peter chapter 2 you see if If you happen to be hiding in an unlikely place, Christian home, for instance, local church, for instance, religious crowd, or if you happen to be really, really discouraged but you can't tell anybody and you're just ready to die, you say, God, it's over. Just take my life. God says, no, I'm not through with you yet. God wants to minister to you. He's going to meet you where you are or if you happen to be seeking Jesus, who he is, let me tell you that there is another man and another tree. You see, this man is not among the trees and this man is not under a tree, this man is not up a tree, this man is on a tree and his name is the Lord Jesus. First Peter chapter two, look at verse 24. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Again, I just remind you of something. Do you see that in that verse... That those of us who are dead in sins, who have trusted the Lord Jesus, should live under righteousness. Listen, the, uh, Christ doesn't save us just so that we can go through the, the big heavenly scanner at the end and say, okay, that one's good, that one's good, and that one's good. Our lives must change. There's no proof other than that. Oh, you can't work your way into heaven. We know that. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But by his mercy as he saved us. I understand that. But he did not save you for you to remain the same. Matter of fact, you can't remain the same. When Jesus comes in, he comes out. He comes out of your hands and out of your mouth and out of your eyes and out of your ears and out of your mind. The Lord Jesus works himself out of your life. That's called sanctification. Set apart for him. We hear a lot about commitment. When's the last time you heard a message on conversion? We are converted. We are different. We live unto God. We were once the servants of sin. Now we're the servants of righteousness. Thank God there's a difference. If you happen to be hiding in an unlikely place. If you happen to be discouraged under a broom tree tonight. If you happen to be seeking Uh, finding a a vantage point to see the Lord, trust this man on the tree. He's your answer. He's your hope. He's your salvation. There is no other person in the universe that can do what he has done. Notice that who his own self. He made the choice. If I could use prophetic words, who will go? Here am I, send me, is Isaiah 6 and 8. He was not coerced. He was not beaten. He was not driven. There's a a board meeting and eternity passed. And the son says, I will go. I have two sons. I'd never send them. I'd never send them. Can you imagine the devil himself and the prison of darkness and the Lord rides up, that is the father, on a white horse And he comes to the wall of the prison of darkness. And he says to the warden, to the devil, I have an exchange to make my son for all those on death row. Mm. That's what he did, you know. And the Lord Jesus says, I will go. A delight to do thy will, O God, Psalm 40, verse 7, who his own self, notice in the verse now, bore our sins. You know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I understand that. Well, if we can't hear enough about him, somebody can say amen if you want to. You cannot hear enough about the Lord Jesus. When, 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 when my children were smaller, even now, it's hard to believe sometimes, but when they were smaller and somebody would say to me, oh, you know, we were around your kids last night. We can't believe, boy, you have some really nice kids. And I go, are you sure those were my kids? <laughs> like, oh, boy, you should see them at home. You know, I mean, you know what I mean. They're always hopefully better, you know. When somebody says something positive about your child, you know how it makes you feel as a parent? What do you think God feels like? When we're saying, there's nobody like your son. There's nobody like him. We have nobody to compare him to. He's the most beautiful person in the universe. He's loved us unto death. Who his own self bear our sins in his body, on the tree tree. The place of the curse. Cursed is everyone, Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. It's kind of interesting. Seven kings hang on a tree. You know this. Six in the Old Testament. One in the New. He hung on a tree. The place of of the curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Galatians 3 and 3. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body. The word became flesh. A body was prepared for him. So he could what? Bear your sins in his body. Isn't that what we know Isn't that what we believe? That all we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone's turned to his own way. And God laid on him all of our iniquities. The Lord Jesus on a tree. There was a man on a tree. He was the stem of Jesse's rod, a root out of a dry ground. Oh, there's, uh, how many did I say were all together of those trees? 177, we got 100, okay, 173 left. <sighs> Figure them out. They're all good stories. You wouldn't be hiding tonight in an unlikely place, would you? You wouldn't be discouraged tonight, giving up, just, I'm done, I can't take it anymore, would you? You, you wouldn't necessarily be just seeking the Lord who he is in various vantage points there's a man on a tree to meet all those needs tonight but he's not on a tree anymore and that's what makes the story so good you see he has risen from the dead and he ever lives to make intercession and that's what he wants to do for you tonight wherever you are let's pray <clears throat> father we we feel as though we've done such a terrible job of exalting the Savior, please forgive us for not knowing how to do that better. But we agree with every angel in heaven and every blood-bought saint, and with God the Father and the Spirit, there is nobody like Jesus, nobody. And we commend him, Father, to this congregation tonight realizing that you don't kick us when we're down. You find us when we're lost. You find us when we're hiding. You find us when we're seeking. You find us when we're ready to give up. But you find us, and you minister to us. Lord, do that, I pray, for these dear folks tonight. For Christ's sake, amen. You are dismissed, and may the Lord be with you.